and welcome to Kaleidoscope. This is Magda Zenon from a very warm Nicosia with Vespina Psara in the studio with me. Welcome, Vespina. Hi, Magda. Thank you for having me. To introduce you to the listeners, Vespina is an awesome young person I've met recently, very active within the community. And Vespina has also made it more apparent to me that we need to be having intergenerational conversations. We need to be freshening the ideas of us, the old guard, and the younger generation also needs to be learning from either from the mistakes we made, not to repeat them, or picking up the good practices that we did. So let's start off with communication, because I think that's the beginning of everything in terms of these conversations. How do you communicate? How do you feel we should be communicating better in everything we do? Okay, that's a super interesting question. Because I think we try to find new methods of communication. Because mm-hmm. obviously our parents, let's say, have communicated things not in the best way possible. And as you said at the, at the beginning, like how we need to learn from y- your mistakes. And I think what I practice personally is like with my friends, because like communication is important. Like hey, I don't feel comfortable with that, or do you think this, or what do you think about that, or like actually opening up ways of communicating. I'm not the best at it, but I think from having no communication to experimenting with friends in different ways of understanding each other. So you mean actually asking the questions? So when yeah. you see someone and they're looking weird, for want yeah. of a better word, say, are you okay? Yeah. I want to give an example, actually. Uh, my sister recently got her appendix out. How old is your sister? She's 27 now. Okay. Yeah. And uh, she was like, we're talking. And then she was like, thanks for checking up on me, like ironically. And I was like, I thought we were like, we're okay. Like, I thought you were okay because if you didn't, you would have said something. And that expectation of her thinking that I assumed, basically, I assumed that she would have told me if she was not okay. But that was an assumption. Yes. Like, I should have asked her. I should have asked her, are you okay? Yes. And I didn't. So. And I was like, we were, we just went back and we're like, okay, it all makes sense. Like, I'm not blaming my parents here, but like, you well, know. Th- well, things have changed because it's like, I, we meet and I'll say to you, how are you? In most cases, people are not expecting you to answer honestly. And they're expecting you to say, I'm okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, th- I agree with you. We actually need to learn to be more open and we also need to learn that not being okay is okay. Yeah, I think sure. that's the biggest lesson that we, it's not, if I'm not feeling okay today, I should tell you, that's been a, I don't want us to do the interview today. I'm actually yeah. not well. Yeah. So yeah, it should be okay to be not okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, the other to take us, I mean, this question of mental health is a very, very important issue. And mm-hmm. I think coronavirus is something that taught it, taught it, not, it showed it to us and it actually showed us how fragile we are. Yeah. Tell me about your experience with COVID and the lockdowns. Yeah. 
Yes, I've been actually wanting to speak about this because I graduated in 2020 when COVID started. Wow. Yes. So I came back to Cyprus from London, uh, sorry, August 2020. I was, it felt like I had no choice but to come back to Cyprus. Uh, But yeah, it was... What I want to talk about is like the after, not how was lockdown for me and stuff like that. Because I was studying, I was doing my master's online in Cyprus. Which so it was, was actually the, convenient in a way. COVID yes, actually was, served it. Yeah, because I was doing a master's, it was convenient, like I had time to research. But I didn't get a chance to do on the ground research, like be outside and observe and see the people. Because at the time... I was doing a master's in interdisciplinary design. Oh, where... wow. So you need to see different reactions <laughs> and different yeah, disciplines. Was... Yes. And mainly I was studying public space. So like it was just like a shutdown to me. But what I wanted to talk about is how the how I had so many expectations coming to Cyprus as a young person. Let's say, including what expectations did you have? Um, from my masters, because that's what I was living at the time. Uh, I felt that passion was missing in Cyprus. Yes, like passion that drives projects to work and change to happen. I really do believe that in order to drive something forward, you need passion. And absolutely, and kefi, uh, kefi in Greek is like the frenzy, positive attitude yes. towards life. The mojo, you need the mojo. Yes. <laughs> yes, and I felt like even though it was COVID, my peers at my masters and my tutors didn't have the motivation or the passion. I came back wanting to like explore, like Cyprus, like how was it living all these years here and. You know, when you're young, you don't understand the concept of Cyprus. No. Only when you leave or you have like this enlightening like uh, moment, you understand what is going on in Cyprus. And that's what happened to me. And I was really disappointed coming back and having people not be passionate about where they're from, what is happening around them, how can we solve problems that are in front of us. And only being centered on themselves. I think that's something, because I'm a newbie in Cyprus. I only came here 20 years ago. So in my lifespan, that's recent. Um, yeah. There's You have a group of key people that are really, really passionate, as you said. And I really want to hear about you. And you want to find out about me. And we want to know about it. But that's a small group of people. The rest of the people are actually very happy to get on with their day, um, to go to their coffees. And I'm not putting down going for coffee, but there's a very much a egocentric, may I say it, or a, or an apathy. Maybe apathy is a better word. A comfort zone, basically. Okay, yes. I would say a comfort zone that, you know, let's brush it off. Like, let's just do this to finish it off. Like, let's let's just get it done and over with. Or like, it's... Or... Stop talking. We don't need to hear that, or you know. But this this is driving from my experience I had at uni uh, in Cyprus. 
But that's when I was like, I need to find a group of people that reflect my passions mm. and my curiosity. And and I don't want to leave this island. Like, I don't want to have to be, like, I don't want to have to leave this island to find a better future. Like, that was one of my main concerns. And, like, my two best friends have done that. They left the country for reasons of like being they just couldn't be themselves here and for economic reasons like they had to find jobs other like elsewhere but i think so, i think you've actually touched on a very important thing that um every government that has come in and i'm not pointing out any government specifically they don't cha- take into consideration the changing dark market they don't take into consideration that if we want a better future, we've got to encourage or make a space that the the young Cypriots that went abroad to study want to come back and want to bring their knowledge back and make a better world for us all, young and old. So I think I would like you to develop on that because I have a similar problem with my son. I mean, the job market is dismal. The salaries are dismal. There's yeah. no... Um, and I'm telling you from... Listening to him, there's no way you have a feeling or or a service around you that can tell you, you know what, these are alternatives. Let's do this a different way. Let's encourage this. Or let's, anyway, you tell me, I know from secondhand from my son, you know firsthand from yourself. Yeah. So I want to say, I always kind of say that Cyprus is not 50 years behind, but 30. And we're in the 15 year mark of like our 30 years behind and when like when like other countries in the 70s were developing ideas of like human rights and like how will we explore our what will we teach in our schools we were we were at we were in war like cyprus was under a lot of distress Mm. like there was war so That's why I'm saying that there's a gap of these years that we could have developed. And now I feel like governments are jumping on this like new digital age and they think that, you know, young people, they don't genuinely know what young people want. No, I totally agree with you. And that's why I want this conversation. Yes, I think they they assume because there's like, obviously there are subcultures everywhere. What I see is like this subculture of, this is my perspective, but I I see like there's this subculture of like this, oh, you have to be a lawyer or an accountant or an economist to be able to make it in Cyprus. I'll give you another version. You have to have rich parents or you have to have parents with a business that they can import so, you not import you employ you yeah so that you can use whatever you studied within the company but you've got a ready job because they're probably not going to fire you even if you do badly <laughs> yes yes i agree with that as well obviously we can't dismiss the families that have worked there like we cannot dismiss people who genuinely work and work for their family businesses like we cannot dismiss that yeah, some families did, quote-unquote, spit blood to yes. have their businesses run. 
and be running until today and how many sacrifices they've made. But I think what young people don't understand is this, what I just said exactly. When you go into a family business, let's say, uh, you have to recognize the history. I think history is very important. Yes, and I think that's what, And I think that's what's missing as well in a wider context. Tell me, why, why is history necessary? Sorry? Why is history necessary? I mean, how are we going to inform? I mean, I when I my perspective is past, present, future. Like, how are we going to inform? One informs the other. Like, okay, for the present, you see the past. For the past, you see the future. Like, it's it's okay. kind of how we started. Like you said, we don't want to repeat the same mistakes. So obviously, we look at the past to inform the present, so we don't make mistakes in the future. Like I think. That's how I see it, at least. And are you talking about this as a separate community and in terms of the Cyprus problem or generally mm. as a community? Both. I might say, like, both. Like, I think this... I mean, in the context of the Cyprus problem, that goes 100%. But even, like, with... Just being aware of what comes before or after or consequences. Do we also not uh, need to have to worry about perspective? Because we all know what our history books say and we all know the story of the other. So mm -hmm. I'll put this another way so we can be more productive. What mm -hmm. do you want as a young person? What changes would you made make? Or what change would you like to see in terms of what you're talking about now? It's a really interesting question because it's like you can say the ideas might seem radical almost. Like it's it's crazy, but I would, I mean, starting from school, let's say, like one, I'm not in school anymore, but I'm just thinking of my cousin who is mm -hmm. in school. Um obviously I want her to know, she's a woman. This is actually the perfect place to talk about this. She's a, a female. female. Yes. And I really want her to know, to have had or have some education on bodies, on sexual assault, abuse, rape. What does it mean when someone does this? And there's this movement now in Cyprus. I don't know why for this weird reason. Well, that um, it's this quote that what are they teaching our kids? Oh, we've seen it really radically these last few days about keep your sex education out of the schools. Out of, yes. Don't which, teach my children. Which we cannot deny that children are sexual beings. Like we cannot deny that because we have, I mean, Freud really proved that uh, throughout his theories. And but and, you, and, you, I mean, all you need to see is when you see a little baby, you will see that a little girl might naturally smile at her daddy more than she does at her mummy, or when you um, 
You can see they are sexual beings. They have desires. Exactly. Different at different ages, but there are desires that are inherent, and you either nurture or you kill, which I prefer you nurture because yeah. I would like the natural self. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> But yeah, they yeah. are sexual beings. Yeah, and on that note, it's not like, oh, they become 18 years old and there's this switch. Like, how do you expect young women to, like, know about themselves if you teach them that, you know, to put the cross every morning and, like, I mean, okay, I mean. Or to teach them that uh, the the length of a skirt. Yes. Or whether you, it's okay to not wear a bra. I mean, I'm talking about or whether. That's a really interesting point because yesterday I was talking to this friend and she was like, I used to, um, I had to be conscious around the house whenever I didn't wear a bra or not. Imagine that in your own home, in your own space, not wearing a bra. Like, cause, like, cause potentially your dad would be, you know, triggered yeah. or something. That's that's just not a safe space to be. That's just not a safe space, and it's not our problem. I, I, it's not a woman problem. It's not a female problem. And oh no, know. I totally agree with that. This this thing of shame that I've got to cover my breasts, or I'm not allowed to say I enjoy sex. Mm-hmm. As a woman, I mean, oh, in a putana, or she's a slut. Yeah. Um, yep. The simple thing, and there's no sex, there's no healthier exercise than sex. Okay, provided <laughs> it's uh, provided it's um there's consent. Consensual. Okay, consensual. Yes. Okay, yes, so this yes. uh, this um non non normalization of something as simple as sex. Yeah. Yeah. Or the fact that the body is beautiful regardless of its shape, size, color, and whatever. Because I, I'm overweight. I've always been slightly, I've never been skinny. And I grew up in sunny South Africa with um, these gorgeous Dutch. To- so I've always been slightly overweight. I was often body shamed, inadvertently, mm-hmm. as that were put out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or the expectations of, of men. Or I was bustier, had bigger breasts than the other girls. So, the, so it's this body shaming as a woman is terrible, especially when you're young and you don't yeah. have the confidence to know, oh, I must hide my breasts because they're big and big is slutty or whatever it is. But you yeah. tell me what's happening now, you younger, much younger than me. So tell me yeah. if this is still happening. So, yeah, I mean, I think it is still happening, but it comes to a point where I don't allow it to happen. Okay. At least personally, I'm like, I'm not having this. Like, we need to set our boundaries as well as women. We need to reclaim the power of like, no, I'm not going to let you catcall me, um, shame me. Like, I am literally reclaiming that back. And Can I just interrupt you there? I've actually yeah. had this conversation at work a few years ago. Mm-hmm. With a woman who's very concerned about her, her weight and what she does, I mean, I, but mm-hmm. she actually made a comment about my weight publicly, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I turned around and I said, I mean, I was really quite vulgar. I said, you know what? I have a lot of men interested in me, so mm-hmm. I'm cool. What's your problem? My body, I need to watch my weight for my health. We know this, and that's one part, but the mm-hmm. fact that. 
people find me attractive or I'm comfortable in my body, it's none of your fucking problems. It's not your problem. It's not your issue. If I'm okay, I'm okay. So don't you. She actually never opened her mouth again. But mm-hmm. I actually did it in public. As you know, time out. Yeah. I like me. Yeah. I'm really gorgeous. Men also, the people that I would like to attract also find me gorgeous. So what yes. is your problem? Yeah. It's, it's it doesn't stop. Like, so it doesn't stop. <laughs> it doesn't stop. No, like, obviously my grandma is still like, oh, you gained weight or you lost weight. Like, just in general, commenting on people's bodies is just unnecessary. Like, there are so many things you can say. Like, just don't comment on people's bodies. No, like, don't. okay. And it's it's a culture in Cyprus. It's a culture because we're very connected with food and, like, I don't think about it's only, who we who I don't think it's only a separate man. thing. I don't think For sure. Okay. But we're talking locally now. <laughs> okay, okay. Yes, we're talking locally. Um, yeah, and I think it, family also plays a role in that, like how families affect us as young people and what comments they make for us and the decisions they make for us as well. Yes. Or, or how, yeah, even beyond the extension of the family, how the government makes... I mean, if we want to go back to the question of what I want as a young person in Cyprus, I want the government to stop being so... Uh, what's the word? Hypocritic, not hypocritical. Um, I, I find it dictatorial. They, they actually force you to... Um, do you know the word in Greek that you're thinking of? Um, pretentious. pretentious. Oh, okay, that's a, you're right, that's a bad yes. Yes, I think that's the better word, pretentious. I think they're a bit pretentious because, I mean, where do I start? From which subject should I start of them being pretentious? But I think, yeah, all this, I mean, we can take Limassol as an example, how all these things are being built and or with the recent, like, um, reclaiming the park uh, movement. I don't know if you know that mm. movement. There was this park uh, in Limassol where people, the mayor of Limassol was going to um, basically build, like, a park for kids, but, like, the people there just wanted their, like, public space. Like, they just wanted, you know, grass and, like, not unnecessary concrete okay and yeah they they present out these like pretentious visions of of the future of cyprus without consulting the people like the people clearly said we don't want this but they didn't hear the people and they Mm. went on to do what they did or Okay, I can't talk about like the huge buildings because that's it's more complicated. Like in some way, they're allowed to do it. You can't stop them from building yes. huge buildings, but at the same time, it doesn't reflect the needs of the people on the ground. People cannot afford living in Limassol. They cannot and afford rent. I mean, they have the right to build those buildings. What 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 the result has been that it's changed. 
the the economic demographics and the local exactly. young Limassolians can't find places to rent. Yeah. Or the students, you have, there are two or three good universities in Limassol. There's no mm-hmm. um, student housing, no accommodation yep. because these high rises have changed the economic demographics and they've outpriced for the local Limassolian. Limassol is outpriced. But let's go back to something you just said, the way mm. decisions are made. And I think this is something that we see within the government. We also see it with the Cyprus problem. Mm. Who is listening to us and how do we make our voices heard? Because you and I both have loud voices. Okay? Yes, yes, they, as we should. <laughs> like, why not? Mm. No, but how do we make our voices heard? How do we make our voices heard? Because the loud is not the issue. The question is, how do you make opinions heard? Because I agree with you. No one cares. No one's listening. No one's listening. Yeah. Well, especially being a young person, it's very controversial to have a voice because on the one hand, they're like, oh, we don't want to listen to young people. Like, you're too young. What do you know? Mm. There's this, and that's why I say it's pretentious, because on the one hand, they're like, no, we don't want to hire young people. They don't know anything. But on the other hand, they're tokenizing us as, oh, yes, come to this roundtable discussion for the Cyprus problem, and we will help solve it. And and but, you know that report is not going to go anywhere. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like, literally. And I'm like, and and... Being in an in an organization promoting peace and reconciliation in Cyprus, shout out to Hade. Uh, I is it an organization really, or an initiative? Uh, we are an organization okay. and an initiative. I mean, we organize things. We okay, do. fine. It was just you a saw. FYI kind of question. It yes, wasn't a... yes. Follow Hade online. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just follow, follow Hade and Had. Yeah. But how do, you, how do you get those voices? Because that's another reason where I've picked up your activities is you do some really good events and some really important events that have got to do with gender equality, climate change, discrimination. How did those voices, firstly, how do you make it? more broader herd within the youth, because that's where we need to start. And how do you get the message up to the people that ultimately make the decision? Or do you feel that you don't get your voices up there and you never will? Yeah. That's an interesting question, because lately we've been talking about how we don't want to be in an echo chamber. Like, how do we move beyond that? And I think we are trying to find ways, because, like, the average, at least in the South, Greek Cypriot, person doesn't want to get involved even cross or even like they just there is this distance uh, apathy as you mentioned before and like we want to tap into that as Hade at least we want to tap into that because we we have fun when we meet we have fun we have fun while learning and I think that's the most important it's like a very alternative thing to like have fun and learn like learning and fun. I think Mm. fun learning is very alternative to me because I 
grew up hating school almost. <laughs> it felt like, yeah, it felt like a angaria, uh, like a burden. A burden. You had to do yes. it. Yes. And even and learning the wrong things as well makes it even a bigger burden because then you have to unlearn all of those yes. things. Yeah, so how, what, are you, what are you going to do to make sure you're not an echo chamber? Because this is the problem. All of us yeah. that are involved in the bicommunal and reconciliation, reconciliation yeah. initiatives always worry about talking to the usual suspects. Yes. Being an echo chamber, making it slightly bigger every time, but not bigger enough and not, and not fast enough to actually make a difference. Well, specifically with Hade, we do see new faces every day and that's what keeps us going. We, okay. we see new people every time and people want to get involved and like that's what keeps us going because if we did, I would describe us Hade as ever-changing because if we did, if we were stagnant or still, I think it wouldn't be working, I, if, if that makes sense. Like we wouldn't be, we do have familiar faces, but also new faces, which is great. And this is through mainly social media or us individually just like hey i'm in this group we're going here this weekend do you want to join and we put it in a casual way we don't make it hade is innately political but we don't say what we're doing is a political thing because we don't want it to be that way we just want people to experience the experience okay no i agree because a lot of organizations like hands across the divide we yeah. are political we political we're not we're non-party related, but you're a, yeah. what you're doing is political because you're 100%. changing. Okay. So, what 100%. kind of events? What kind of activities do you do? Well, that's the thing. Hade started kind of online and like uh, through this bigger protest called Osdame. They oh, yes, I remember and then when that. the and when the checkpoints were closed, they were like Hade opened the checkpoints and all of that. And then at one point we started with, I joined in 2021, like two years ago. So I was like a late member almost, <laughs> but I'm grateful for that, whatever the case. Well, mainly our, I would say we have three kind of pillars, crossing points, language. That's okay. Your cats, what's yeah, <laughs> yeah, my cats are here with me. <laughs> so language crossing points which kind of lead up to interaction because we believe with crossing or having more crossing points will lead to more interaction because we've been stagnant like since the crossing points have opened there wasn't enough capacity um, community building like there was no it was very slow and what do you think could have been different because i think things the thing that i find has changed and i think that's why it's probably exactly what you're saying is that before the checkpoints opened there was a reason to fight to come together yeah now that the checkpoints are open there's no reason to fight to come together because yeah. you've actually i'm not saying in terms of what you and i really want it's not enough but in terms of actually saying you know well we can meet we can go to Gerenia or the Turkish Cypriots go to Limassol. So there, we find. So people, and what has made things slightly, what has given even less motivation is the fact that the Lidra Palace dead zone or no man's land is quite vibrant. 
So you yes. can actually step into the Home for Cooperation, do your bicommunal reconciliation activity and step back into your community and you actually haven't done anything, in essence. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I want to say that we cannot deny the propaganda on both sides. Absolutely. We cannot deny it. So doing this work requires effort. Like it's an effort to cross. It's an effort to, it's, it's a struggle. Some people genuinely don't want to show their ID to cross their island on both sides. And that is valid. That is valid. If people don't want to, you know, they don't want to, people want to live. I mean, it's not random that people want to live more effortlessly, if that makes sense. Yes, no, we don't. Like, I mean, the less effort, the better. Exactly, which I don't agree with 100%. But in this case, people, it's an effort for people to cross. Therefore, this is what is stopping, I believe, people and 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 the propaganda on both sides that is basically uh, clouding young people's minds towards the Cyprus problem. And I think... I want to take a blame on, I'm, I'm not taking the blame, but like, I want to blame. No, it's not a blame game. But I think that it should have been a wake-up call that this is not working in some way. Like, because okay. if it was... What was a wake-up call? The fact that the problem is still not solved. But a girlfriend, it's not a wake-up call because a lot of people are making money out of this problem not working. And a lot of people are in positions of power because this problem is not solvable and power is a very very addictive thing yes i agree i agree and I mean, I, and i think uh, to me that goes to what you said before the educate what kids are taught at school yeah and their minds are clouded so you actually unless you actively question things as an adult exactly. why should it change when you're an adult that you think well okay anastasia this is going to solve the problem okay and i'm not pointing to him specifically it's all of them why should it actually occur to most people that I am responsible for my future, my present and my future? How can we change this for you? Yeah, well, th by the way, what I've realized through my pro process in understanding what Cyprus, the Cyprus problem, not politically, but as a process of unlearning, what I've realized is that there are steps and I shouldn't, ex I, I don't want to be judged in my steps and I shouldn't also judge people mm. in the steps that they're taking to unlearn because there are steps to unlearn the context of Cyprus. First, you're like, oh my God, we have similar words. Mm. Like it starts from that. I, I, I Almost it starts from that. You or know? we eat At the least... same food. Yes, <laughs> but but then you go beyond that and you're like, you normalize that this is, that mm. and there are so many steps i think some people why you ask why are the usual suspects it's because these usual suspects have done all the steps and there's nothing for them to unlearn so what we need to not expect but what not what we need to expect what we what i as a young person mm. let's say would want from my society around me in cyprus is to also take these steps because it's a process. And, and that's why I'm saying now, it's like saying the best time to plant a tree is like 100 years ago. Mm. It's kind of like that. Like we should start now. Please, if we had started 50 years ago, we would have been fine. Exactly. <laughs> and we didn't even start 50 years ago. Exactly. Exactly. And it's horrible to say. And some people might 
feel like this is dismissive to the history because a lot of people feel strongly about history and what ha- has happened and it's very intense for to feel strongly about history sometimes. History, it's about seeing the past, how we said before, you know. So, yeah, I think history also plays a huge role in like how we perceive history and how we can look at it critically and learn from the past. I think that's yes. what we... But because we don't want to have a very long conversation, so yes, we're sure we keep the... the let, I'm going I'm to end with that. What do you want from the Cyprus problem? What is it? And I'm not talking, I don't want you to give me an analysis of the peace settlement, but what is it that you want? What do you think a reunite, because I know we both have a vision of a reunited Cyprus, of whatever formula. Why do you think it's better? Why do you think it's better for you and for, for, for me now, but for you now and going into the future? Why would it be better to solve this problem? Well, first of all, I would like to learn another language okay. and the language of my... Your neighbors? <laughs> yes. Not, and second, I would love to imagine a workforce with Turkish Cypriots, for example, or anyone who lives on this island. A workforce where I go to work and I'm surrounded by people who just, live, who just happen to live on this island, no matter what they are. Or what I language think, they speak. Or what language they speak, exactly. I want to cross without having crossing points, obviously. I want to explore the whole island. And I want to be able to go to Karpasia regularly, and it's not that easy when you have exactly. to go through a checkpoint and whatever. Exactly, exactly. I want to, yeah, I, want, I, I don't want to be intimidated by a mosque, let's say, like most I'm or, people in the... Or a policeman at a checkpoint. Exactly. And I want to recognize that aspects like things that have been on this island for years have been and I have to accept them and I want this to be also what other people do some things that have been here for many many years to be accepted like as part of our history of our shared history okay. if that makes sense tell me when someone asks you what your nationality is what what do you use what words do you use that's really interesting It changed so many times. I agree with you. Yes, uh, because I started my studies first in the U.S., so that's when people started asking me, where are you from? Mm. And because you have to leave this island for someone to ask you, where are you from? You know, I usually, I, I want to s- just mention the steps. Step one, it was like, oh, yeah, I'm from Cyprus. It's an island near Greece. We speak Greek. It started from there, and we're Greek. Because that's all you know, almost. And you don't even realize that it's that. You don't even realize the, the way. That you actually, that yes, yes. Well, yes. I, gr- I, grew up in now, South, I grew up in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Okay. No Turkish Cypriots, or very few. It was an island, it was a country that encouraged divisions of ethnicities. So the natural mm-hmm. division for the mm-hmm. Greek Cypriots was for the Greek Cypriots and the Greeks to join. Because there was a common language. So in mm-hmm. Cyprus, in South Africa, you would often say Cypriot, and if they didn't know Cypriot, you'd say Greek from Cyprus. So I'm agreeing with you here. We had a different version of what you used to say. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't realize the weight of it. You don't yeah. realize the weight of it. Exactly. And now it's shifted to for you? Yeah. I don't say, uh, I'm not asked that question that much, but now I would say I'm Cypriot, and if I'm 
outside Cyprus, I mean, if you are with Turkish Cypriots, they would probably assume by your name if you're Greek speaking mm. or not. So it's fine. Like I love it when I meet other Turkish Cypriots and they're like, you know, we say our names and we're like, where are you from? I'm Cypriot. And we immediately know what we are without saying, oh, I'm Greek Cypriot mm. or I'm Turkish Cypriot. Or, or same with Armenian, like the names. Give it like, away. Yes, they give it away. So it's like we're identifying each other, but we're all Cypriot without saying any more of the binaries. Mm. Um, so now I would say, yeah, I'm Cypriot, Greek-speaking Cypriot, but I have this friend. She speaks both Turkish and Greek. Hatice. So, so, sorry? Hatice. Is it Hatice, you know? This, uh, uh, anyway, she's a translator. Yeah. Ah, no, no. Uh, so how would this person, let's say, identify if if we're putting the Greek speaking Cypriot, like she's both, for example. So putting speaking Cypriot in front of like So Greek speaking or Turkish speaking. Yes, is is it becomes like a bit of a clash when the end goal is to speak both languages. If if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. So like ideally we would just be Cypriots. People living on this island, like why should we be defined by a binary? Well, someone might argue that it's the history, but... Oh, no, but history is there to evolve as well. But I'm actually going to, to end this conversation, I'll, yeah. I'm going to ask you, you've got Pres- President Christodoulidis in front of you because he's technically your leader, okay? What is the one thing you would ask him? And I know you're going to... You don't need to... What is the one message you would like to get across to him as a young person living in Cyprus? You can have two questions if you want, two answers if you want. Wait, questions? No, you want... What, a, would no, I, what would you ask him for? What would you ask him for? Yeah, like stick to your words. When you say Cyprus for all Cypriots, don't just tiptoe around. Okay, so you want him like, to be accountable for what he's saying? Yeah, I want all the politicians to take accountability for all the the uh, the, afora, the corruption, corruption. That, has, that has happened throughout many, many years on this island. I want them to do take accountability. Like, it's not okay. This is why we're here in this moment. Like, take accountability, own it up, mm. and don't just appoint women just to tokenize women. Mm-hmm. Like, not, it doesn't mean that you are a woman, you are instantly good at it, or, you know, or a man. Like, I agree hire with you. people, hire people who are genuinely passionate and want to change the world. Like, you should also envision beyond your personal. Uh, benefits absolutely <laughs> this is what i would say to him but i don't think it would get through <laughs> and what would you like to ask him because you said yeah. am i going to ask him or i'm going to tell him what yeah. would you like to ask him i'm a why person okay i always ask why 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 <laughs> why why so i would probably ask like why are you genuinely doing this what being like, a president Yes, because I think being a leader requires, without the voices of the people, well, in an ideal world, we would all have a voice, so not one person is leading us in some way, but yeah, why, why, why are you leading as a president, like what drives you to lead beyond your like personal benefit? Of to feed your ego, let's say. Well, actually, I actually truly believe believe in 
a civil, um, what they call it, civic or town halls, where leadership mm-hmm. goes to a public space and allows. And I really, I, I really think we need to start these more regularly, find a way to encourage them. And strangely enough, it was one of the, it was one of the um, proposals of Kolokasidis that I liked, even though I don't like his politics. It was one of the things that Kolokasidis said that we need to have more town halls, we need to have more interaction with civil society, and I think it's really, really important. On that note, I've been to many, 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 <laughs> I would say throughout the two years that I've been in Cyprus, either online or I was very engaged with civil society, even with like the municipality of Nicosia. But even if we have these town halls, even if we created this space, will the people genuinely want to change what the people are saying? If I come and I suggest something, don't just hide it under the rug as well, you know? So even if we did create these town halls, it doesn't mean that things would pass through, if that makes sense. Like, even if we did, it's Uh, not just about having more town halls. It's about these town halls listening like we should, no, we shouldn't think about the. I, I'm the agreeing. Capacity. I'm agreeing with you. It's not going to work in the beginning, okay? In the beginning, people are going to talk, and the leadership is going to say, "Get back here." But I think once it becomes um, a regularity and not done once, just for ha- happening once, people will learn to come and really ask questions. I think. I want to believe that it becomes a regular occurrence that they're going to be one every three months. And people actually come and ask questions. They're not pre-recorded, not requested to set them in. And someone sits down with minutes and says, this was asked, we want an answer back by this date. I think at some stage, don't you think it'll be empowering to the community or do you think it'll be less than empowering to the community? But the community also needs to understand the importance of this. You know, if we if we don't demand, if we don't understand how important it is for these town halls and to demand to reclaim what we think is right for our spaces, let's say. Well, that's the true meaning of democracy. Democracy uh, is not just dropping in a ballot and saying, I'm voting for whoever I'm voting for, mm-hmm. and then for five years to let him do what the hell he wants. It's actually yeah. making him daily accountable and daily asking him questions and questioning him and questioning his yeah. actions. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything you want to say before we close? I think we've covered quite a broad range, and yet we haven't covered enough. Yes, it it felt like I started talking about Hadden, and I feel like I didn't finish, but then I feel like, but it's okay, podcasts be like, so it's fine. I will see you anyway around. You'll see me around, and I think we need to do another one and talk about discrimination, because I think that's another subject that... Sure. But this time we need to see... We want to see how yeah. the generations can help each other. So I think we've yeah. got a lot to learn from each other. But tell me what you yeah. want to say, what you would like to say before we close. I'm actually really happy that you only host women. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really weird. It, it might sound very like some people will be like, oh, no, why is she doing this? Da, da, da. But I feel like it's important in some way. Like I feel very comfortable speaking to you. And I think you allowing this space is really important. And yeah, I can recommend you more people, oh, yes, more please. young people, I, I, more I, young women. I want young women. I want, uh, to me, one of my uh, 
motivating factors in actually starting Kaleidoscope because mm-hmm. I'm the original podcaster. I started this. In, yes, you are. I started this in 2013. And when I was offered the slot of doing it, um, I thought to myself, who's going to come and speak to me? Because who am I? And then I realized, you know what? No one's asking women to speak. Because we're talking about 10 years ago. Now it's slightly better. So no one said no. None of them said no. I mean, I've had Nobel Peace Prize women. I have, I don't know if you've heard of Eve Ensler, Vagina Monologues. I've had environmentalists. I've had um, people from the UN at high positions. People didn't, women didn't say no because no one was really asking them before. So I think you're right. We keep on, we need to keep these spaces going. It doesn't mean I'm being elitist or excluded, but we need to keep these spaces because there are more than enough spaces for men. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So, so this much. is the end of this conversation, but it doesn't mean it's the last conversation. Yes. Look, <laughs> look forward to seeing you again and hosting you again. Yes. Thank, thank you, Despina. And thank, thank you to listeners. And stay safe. Bye-bye. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus, Island Talks, open, diverse, free.